his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Incidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Hey, good morning, Anthony. Good morning, Don. How are you doing? I'm good. So a lot on the Pennsylvania budget. I saw that the Shapiro administration folks were in our neck of the woods in the suburbs of Philadelphia, in Abington, announcing all the EV news and a lot of federal dollars being doled out for electric vehicles and all of that. But I know that you've been covering, breaking down the issues with the Pennsylvania budget, talking about labor shortages, as well as the rural health care gap. So take us through it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're getting close to actually having a budget, uh, but <laughs> we are still not there. Um, you know, this is kind of, uh, uh, you know, waiting for Godot sort of situation here where, you know, Shapiro has signed a budget. The Senate's passed along to him. Um, but that's not everything that needs to be done here. Um, there's still a few things outstanding. Um, essentially, the legislature needs to uh, pass along some code bills, which essentially direct um, the uh, state to spend the money. Um, so we have the budget and then you have the code bills authorizing the budget to be spent. Um, so, you know, there's still some outstanding issues to be here, uh, to get fixed here. Um, those code bills are, are basically responsible for about $1.1 billion um, in the budget. And without those bills, a number of uh, fund transfers can't happen. Um, one of the outstanding things for that would be about $500 million for basic education funding across the Commonwealth, um, as well as a few other issues. Um, but, you know, before this gets done, we're still hearing criticism about the budget. Um, the Commonwealth Foundation released an analysis the other day arguing that the uh, budget is already in the red. Um, it's looking to spend about $900 million more than the revenue that we have coming into the state, um, essentially dipping into um, built-up revenues within the general fund balance to cover the uh, the mismatch there. And so, you know, to the, to the average person who's listening to you, Anthony, they're saying, well, why can't they just get the budget done? What are the sticking points? Well, they're negotiate. They're still negotiating back and forth. And part of the power for Republicans is Treasury uh, Treasurer Stacey Garrity, who's a Republican, right? Ultimately, she's giving out warnings of this fiscal cliff. You're writing about this, but ultimately, she gets to she gets to physically write the checks, and she decides who gets paid for right now. So it gives Republicans a lot of power right now, right? As they investigate. So can you talk about the treasurer? which I know you address in your article, but as well talk about what exactly they're, they're still, what's up for negotiation? Yeah, so I, mean, I still think this essentially falls within the uh, General Assembly um, as far as the negotiations go and all the uh, 
um, all, all these details simply because you know that that the power to authorize the spending is coming from the General Assembly. Um, so I'm I'm still yeah you know, I uh, I am not as plugged in as some others on mm-hmm. the backroom dealing and everything. Um, it does seem like that Senate Republicans are have worked out something uh, with Governor Shapiro. Um, that's sort of what got the budget moving in the first place. Um, but you know there, there's still there, there's always you know horse trading and all this sort of uh, these negotiations going on. Um, when we'll actually get this done, it's not quite clear. Um, but I think one of the sticking points has been something that's been running uh, for a few for at least, at least a couple of years now, especially ever since we've seen all this COVID money coming in. Um, so trying to look down the line and think, where are we going to be in five years and 10 years? Um, because Pennsylvania has a fairly strong um, reserve built up now, including the uh, rainy day fund. I think it's something around, I want to say, $11 billion. I, I may be a little off on that, um, but it's multiple billions of dollars. Um, the problem for this is, as we're looking into the future and we're looking at trends in Pennsylvania, um, Pennsylvania has an aging population. It has a shrinking uh, workforce. And so there's concerns about an, an impending uh, fiscal cliff. Um, essentially, what that means is through 20, 2027, 2028, um, we'll be having uh, state spending growing faster than tax revenues. Um, just as more people retire, more people age into government services. Um, so there's a concern here that within another five or six years, all this built up uh these general reserves that we have, um, it's essentially all going to disappear simply to keep up with the pace of spending. Um, and so we could go um, within the next you know, six years or so into uh, a budget deficit rather than this nice budget surplus we have built up. Um, some of this is coming from, again, these trends in Pennsylvania and you know, young people leaving the Commonwealth, uh, people staying here getting older. Um, but there's, there's also this concern of, of spending and of uh, figuring out what we're going to do as, as uh, these trends change. Um, and so there's, uh, you know, the Treasurer Stacey Garrity has talked about this. The Independent Fiscal Office has also warned about this, of how, you know, um, not necessarily they're not taking a position on spending or anything. They're just kind of extrapolating these trends and kind of uh, warning people about what's to come and how politicians need to prepare as we start to see a lot of this federal COVID money taper off. Yeah, I'd love just for a moment looking at the media if you look at the media, even I think it was the Sunday morning, I think the Sunday Philadelphia Inquirer, for example, talking about the budget being signed and talking about victories for Shapiro, you would almost think from some of the headlines, even this week from a lot of publications, that it's a done deal, that the budget is signed and and they're just haggling over a few details. It, it's a little, it, it's a bit fascinating to me how it's being reported. The headline is, well, you know, they ultimately they got the bulk of this done, but there's still a lot of work to do, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to be too harsh on, on some mm-hmm. of that media um, simply because, you know, the oh, state okay. is legally required. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're required. <laughs> they're required to have this budget done and get it in. So there's that pressure. And there's also simply that basic pressure of people who are not following um, politics or following the state legislature. Uh, You know, one way or another, if they don't get this done, then you'll see payments not going out. You'll see a lot of services not being delivered. Um, And so there's just that inherent political pressure to wrap this up. Um, and, And I think with 
the budget finally going through, you know, there's still some things to haggle over. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I think it will really set the tone for how this next year or two goes in terms of cooperation between the General Assembly and the governor. Um, But eventually, you know, this has to be done. This can't just be put off until months and months and months. Um, And if they do put it off that long, then there's a lot of uh, consequences that come from that. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's more done than it was a month ago. Uh, <laughs> eventually it'll be wrapped up. Uh, but, you know, someone trying to put a put a number on this. I would not want to uh, want to go up on that. All right. Well, we'll continue to follow it. We, we appreciate you following it. You talk about labor shortages, a lot of red tape, higher home prices and months of delay. Take us through it. Yeah, so this is uh, this is something that you see, um, I mean, a- across Pennsylvania, but also really stands out when you kind of look at other states. Um, Pennsylvania, you- you've seen housing prices creep up, um, cost of rent, and this goes from from Pittsburgh to Harrisburg to Philadelphia to the Northeast. Um, there, I mean, there, there's a housing crunch, and there's been a few studies done where it estimates that Pennsylvania has about a 98,000 unit uh, deficit of housing. Um, and that if, if you want to keep costs low, if you want to keep homes affordable, we're going to need a record level building to actually happen to lower this cost because we basically have, um, a supply problem. We have a constraint on supply and there's not enough, um, uh, housing, uh, really being built to drive down prices. Um, so I, I was speaking with, um, Chad Weaver, who owns a construction company, um, out in the greater Pittsburgh area, um, but basically trying to figure out, you know, what are the problems we're facing here? What are the hurdles? Um, a big one here is simply labor. Um, and again, with Pennsylvania aging, he said that a lot of the older craftsmen are aging out and retiring. Yeah. You don't have the people coming into the trades, whether it be a plumber or a brick mason or an electrician. Um, so, yeah, th- there's kind of two major points here that he kind of brought out. And one was labor. The other was simply bureaucracy and the slowness of how things move in Pennsylvania. Um, when you look in places like Texas or uh, other places down south or out west, you may be able to get some housing development permitted and entitled. You know, within four or five months, even then, people will start getting annoyed with the waits. In Pennsylvania, that can be, you know, double that. That can be 12 months. In a few cases, it can be 18 months. Um, and this kind of reflects a regional trend where in the northeast, it takes months longer to actually get a house um, finished and built out compared to other parts um, of the United States. And so this ends up, you know, even even if we didn't have this labor issue, that would drive up the cost significantly, um, along with some other regulations. Um, but it seems like, you know, it's it's not just one problem when we look a lot at a lot of these issues. Mm-hmm. There's two, three, six, 12 different things going on that's slowing, um, slowing things down and making things more expensive. Yeah, we'll say on the other side of it, a lot of times when you think about areas, I'll, I'll take Florida or even the Jersey Shore, for example, those areas where people are buying a second or third home. Unlike that, in Pennsylvania, we have a lot of homeowners who've been in their homes for many years and home values going up. Part of the problem, too, has to do with the interest rates and inflation. Um, you talk about Pennsylvania starting its public comment period for a, a master plan on aging. You've referenced, Anthony, in a couple of your stories, the fact that in Pennsylvania, we have people who want to grow old here. People move back to Pennsylvania and to this area. And so that requires a plan when we think of the baby boomers, the largest generation. 
So you can, can you update us on what's going on with, with that master plan? Yeah, so this is, uh, this is Pennsylvania kind of looking at what other states are doing and trying to, uh, again, prepare for Pennsylvania becoming one of the oldest states in the nation. Um, a few years ago, uh, California put, to be- put together a master plan for aging, essentially trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to be needing to do 10, 15, 20 years down the line, um, not only for uh, shrinking labor force, but also making sure that, you know, Pennsylvania is a good state to live in as you age and good state to retire into. Um, so this is kind of, this is a long process, essentially pulling together um, various uh, virtual listening sessions and person listening sessions, um, basically trying to do this in every county um, around Pennsylvania, trying to get input from people mm-hmm. of, you know, as, as boomers become retired, aging into seniors, uh, you know, what, what services are you concerned about? What are you concerned about in terms of livability, in terms of community ties, um, in terms of maybe working? There's a few um, uh, people who are concerned about ageism in the workforce. Um, so th- this is essentially trying to look ahead, you know, where, where is Pennsylvania falling short and what can we do? Um, so th- this is going to be a, this is going to be a process that's going on for a, probably, I think about six or seven more months. Um, they're looking to have, a master plan finalized in February and then kind of work from there. Uh, but this is really right now kind of a, a uh, public comment period of, you know, if you have an older loved one or if you're retiring and you're kind of seeing some of these shifts, where do you think the Commonwealth is falling short and how can we improve on these things? I love it. And I'll, I'll be, I'll be curious to see any movement on the, you know, you talked about ageism. Because we also, you know, at the same time, we have a lot of people who uh, have put off having kids, let's say, or grandparents who are now raising their grandkids. So though that combination presents a point where people, maybe they're, I, I know one gentleman who worked for a big company and it was in their, it was in their contract that they had to retire by a certain age. I think it was 62. He ultimately filed a federal lawsuit. He won. And then went on to get some play. He actually got some um, procedures to look younger because he was so self-conscious about it. Got another job, is still back in the workforce because a lot of people who maybe waited to have kids, so they're still helping out, you know, their kids. Some people in their even late 40s, early 50s are having kids. That presents a whole new issue, I think as far as people viewing themselves as younger or viewing themselves as, hey, I still need to be out there in the workforce. And that does bring up the issue, I think, of ageism and thinking, hey, I've taken care of myself. I I look and feel younger and I should not be, you know, discriminated against for taking a job because I don't look like whatever the intern who worked, who was an intern and now should be hired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's also, you know, comparing 40 or 50 years ago, yeah. um, you know, somewhat it's, you can be more comfortable working later in life, especially, too, when we take into account, you know, this shift into more office or service jobs away from manufacturing. Um, that gives people a lot, of, uh, a lot of potential to work longer than they otherwise would have. So oh, that's a great we'll, point. we'll have to see how that falls apart. That's a great point. And I love the story that you wrote about nurse practitioners as well as these um, physician assistants filling some of the rural health care gaps that we're seeing. And I love that because I know for me, when I can't get my kids into the pediatrician, I, I have no problem seeing a nurse practitioner. Oftentimes, they're individuals who are you know very knowledgeable, 
hands-on. And so I think that's a great story that you look into the data. Can you take us through it and what you found, Anthony? Yeah, of course. Um, so when we're looking at how nurse pr- practitioners have developed in Pennsylvania, um, we're seeing a lot of growth um, all around the state, um, both rural and urban Pennsylvania. Um, in urban Pennsylvania, since from 2010 to 2020, we've seen a 62% increase in nurse practitioners. However, when we're looking in uh, the rural parts of the state, we're seeing a much more, uh, much higher growth. We're seeing a 178% growth in nurse practitioners and another 104% growth in physician assistants. Um, so this is sort of, we're seeing a bit of a bifurcation here in healthcare in Pennsylvania, where primary care physicians, um, specialists, their uh, OBGYNs, they're generally staying more in the urban and suburban parts of the state, whereas the rural parts of the state, um, those numbers are declining, but being replaced by nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Um, and when you also look at this, nurse practitioners in Pennsylvania are a little more limited compared to other states. Um, they still need to find a, uh, a collaboration uh, physician to essentially you know, vouch for them or watch over the practice. Whereas in, uh, in many other states, they have what's called full practice authority, which means they can essentially act on their own. Um, you know, they can't necessarily do everything a, a primary care physician can do, um, but they essentially, it's easier for them to operate without um, as much bureaucracy. Um, so when we're looking over rural Pennsylvania, especially as we see the population shifting to the southeastern part of the state and essentially more into the suburban or urban parts of the state, um, they're really filling a much needed uh uh, gap that's much needed to be filled in the first place and kind of expanding healthcare access. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's terrific. I really do. I know a lot of people want the doctor, but especially like you're saying, um, for, for those, you know, well care visits, not an urgent situation to see a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant is, is a terrific idea you know, just to make sure people mm-hmm. get in and, and see somebody. got to take care of yourself. Anthony, thank you so much for updating us on this and so much more, and especially with the Pennsylvania budget and the work to get that all fulfilled and pay the bills. Uh, we'll wait until next time. Anthony at thecentersquare.com. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. <laughs> But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.